This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hear more from Free FM. For a small monthly fee, you can become a patron and support independent community media. Go to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out how. Welcome to the Bridgestone. You're at the table with Barry and Mariana. The second tournament has been and gone. It was pretty cool. How'd you go, Barry? Pretty ordinary. How did you go, Mariana? <laughs> pretty ordinary. But we played five rounds in the restricted, and then we went into the open teams and played the last round in the open teams, Jessica and I. I heard about this. So what team did you get to play? We got to play against Gary Foydall and co. And how did you go? Well, all right. The team that we subbed for ended up 12th. <laughs> but how did your match go? Did you... So we had a small loss. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, but apparently the people either had to go or didn't realise there was another round left. Oh, okay. And disappeared. So they said, who wants to play? And I was like, yep, we do. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, it was good, actually. Shared my lollies around. Yeah, well, I got some of your chocolate fish earlier in the day. So today, people, we're going to hear a tip from Barry, Judge Julie. Barry's got some percentages. You want to talk about tutus? Well, not particularly, but <laughs> I will. <laughs> okay, so what's your tip of the week? It's a bit of an unusual one, actually. I was reading the other day about percentages. This guy did an analysis of 700,000 bridge hands. He worked out how many of them there was game on, how many of them were part score hands, how many of them there was a slam on, and how many of them there was a grand slam on. How many? 700,000. 700,000. About what you'd play in a fortnight, Mariana, normally. <laughs> <laughs> so the numbers were a bit surprising. Okay, what were they? Hands where you could make game were about 47%. I would have thought that would be higher. <laughs> I would have thought it would have been lower, actually. I would have thought part scores would have been where it was at, but yep. part scores were only 39%. Slams were a bit higher than I thought, and 11%, so that's like one out of every nine hands. And grand slams were nearly 3%. Oh. which is also a little bit more than I would have suspected. So there you go. My tip of the week is, hey, maybe there's more games on than you think. Of course, these are only the ones where game actually made. So there are some games which you'd bid, which look perfectly reasonable, that went down. But on the other hand, some of these games are almost impossible to bid. Nevertheless, the stats are still there. 47% of hands you can make game on. 39 part scores, 11 slam, 3 for grand. So the answer oh. is, bid game more often, I reckon. Hey, you got some results for me? I have. So there were four tournaments over the weekend. There was the 5A teams in Hamilton, taken out by Ian Berrington and Malcolm Mayer, Jonathan Westerby and Grant Jarvis, and they won it in a canter. In fact, they didn't even have to play the last match. They were that far ahead. Really? They did play it. They didn't go home and get you to play. <laughs> uh, the 3A, the restricted teams, was won by Joy Bates, Melanie Rex, Shirley Bain and Graham Young from Tauranga. That seems to be a really popular concept, this restricted teams things. I think it's going to really take off. There yeah. were nearly as many teams in that as there were in the Open. The Wanganui Swiss Pairs was held on Sunday, and there were people travelled down, left Hamilton on Saturday night, and headed off down to Wanganui to play on Sunday. Don't forget, it started off from North Shore. The driver of the car was from North Shore down to Hamilton. Then they went to New Plymouth to stay overnight, and then into Whanganui. Yeah, actually, there was a quicker way. I wonder if they know. What's that? 
Well, they could have gone down National Park Road. It's probably quicker to get to Wanganui <laughs> that way than to go through Taranaki. But it is a nice drive through the Naki. Hey, I'll tell you what. I thought about you on Friday night. I went to the base, to the Friday night markets. There was a food truck that did white bait fritters. I wonder where they came from. I have no idea. You didn't look at those white bait and see whether whether they look like they came from the Naki or from Raglan? No, this Māori doesn't eat seafood. You know that. (laughs) They're in the river. Oh, well, water food then. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, on to the results of the Wanganui Swiss pairs. Pam Livingston and Sandra Colvert won. Wow. So that was good. One for the girls. I actually had trouble trying to find the results of that, and I was like, good luck. (laughs) Okay, winners of the other tournament, which was the North Shore Restricted Pairs. They came from Auckland and Hastings, Leah and Helen Andrews. Four tournaments, all with big fields. Good stuff. Go the girls. Yeah, the girls going pretty well. Pretty good result for the girls there. In fact, the guys only managed to win the 5A teams, and they had one member of the 3A. Other than that, they didn't feature. That's good. Come on, tell me about your tutus. <laughs> now, I was just reading. This guy reckoned that bridge is like mental ballet. That was a picture that Mariana had us stuck in her head of certain bridge players that we know in their pink tutus. Doing a pirouette. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to send in to our email who you think would look good... <laughs> in a pink tutu. Wonder if they'd match the people that I picked out. I picked out three, oh, sorry, four people that who I've got mental images of doing pirouettes and pink tutus. Of course, laughing my head off. I don't think we should name those four people. No. But anyway, if you want to email in who you'd like to see in a pink tutu or not... <laughs> Show at gmail.com Come on guys, we haven't been getting any emails Get your act together, send us an email in Say whatever you like, we'll play it And let's have a listen to our guest interview from South Florida And today to all the Bridge Zone listeners We have Bridge Professional, Mr Larry Cohen joining us Hello Larry and welcome to the Bridge Zone Hello, thank you, it's good to be there We're very excited and my co-host Barry Jones He's fidgeting over there, he just can't wait to open his trap, and you'll get used to it. <laughs> Welcome, and I'm sure you're going to share with us lots of news over your bridge career, Larry. I'm looking forward, Mariana. Thank you. I've got this battered old copy of To Bid or Not To Bid. It's got coffee stains on it. It's dog-eared, and it's very well read. And so I was reading about Obar bids. There's all sorts of stuff in there. It's still a popular book even now, Larry. Yes, it is, although when I first wrote it it's almost 30 years ago, I was actually the publisher, but I gave up those rights a long time ago. So I've kind of lost track of how it's doing. But when it first came out, it was very popular. I was surprised because I didn't know very much about writing back then. Way back in 1992, time flies. Uh, Yes, I can't believe it. Half a lifetime ago for me. (laughs) Larry, how many times have you rewritten the book? Well, I think there were a few editions, and then it was translated into a lot of different languages. And then I wrote a more simple version when I realized that for most, for the average player out there, I pitched it at too high a level. So in all my later years, I've tried to make it more understandable. Following the Law, I think, was the ne- the sort of sequel, was it? Or? Uh, yeah, that was a sequel, which was just more of, just more examples. And they, then there was something called Introduction to the Law, which was, we like to call it Law of Total Tricks Light, which was like a simplified version of it. And, you know, it's something I started out writing and 
if I had to do it all over again, I would have written it at a much simpler level. I would have really focused more on kind of the way Marty Bergen first taught it to me, which would be just to tell players with eight trumps, go to the two level, with nine trumps, compete to the three level, and with ten trumps, compete to the four level. And, and that's just much easier for the masses to understand, whereas in the book, I got more involved with their 17 trumps where we have nine and the other side is eight, and that just makes it a lot harder to understand. I'm knocking my own book, Barry. I'm <laughs> putting down my own book. You are. I mean, we thought it was a great book. I know my wife and I based all of our system basically on Law of Total Tricks, and by the look of this dog-eared book, we've obviously read every word more than once. I mean, the concepts in there still apply, though, Larry. Well, yes, it was kind of was a breakthrough concept 30 years ago because not many people knew about it and when Marty Bergen was my partner in the 1980s we had so much success with using the law of total tricks and all of his inventions his conventions were based on the law of total tricks like Bergen raises we just really were able to take advantage back then of pushing people from the two level to the three level and not letting them play in two of a major and all of those concepts were not very well known to the masses and that's why when the book came out it was so popular and people just started to be much better competitive bidders back then. So that was the basis of why you wrote the book because you were talking about it so often and saw the advantages of it. Yeah, originally Marty Bergen and I set out to write it together, but we split up over it, and he was ultimately right, because he didn't like my idea of talking about the total number of trumps and total number of tricks. In retrospect, he was right that I should have just made it more simple. I had a hand on Saturday where the opponent's one spade passed two spades, came around to me, and you know, nobody vowed, law of total tricks, and I was 5-4 in the minors, so I bid two no trumps to say, we'll push him to the three level, you know how it is, Larry, and then anyway... It went double on my left. My partner passed it round to me, so I bid my five-card diamond suit, and it went double again, and I thought, that bloody Larry Cohen, look where he's got me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it had a happy ending, Larry. They bid three spades, and we got 50 instead of minus 500. <laughs> so, oh, kids so, would take back the bad things you were thinking about. I, I did, I did. So, but it was the hardest in 50 I ever won, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, Barry, really, I mean, that kind of auction is the biggest gain that even the newest club players and beginners can start to understand is if you just don't let your opponents play on the two level when they have an eight-card fit, that advice alone, that's worth the whole book and just yeah i have an expression i coined since then that that minus 110 is just a disaster and i would rather be minus 1100 add a zero to it because i can't stand to be minus 110 and that's just been my principle and that is really the whole key is those two and three level decisions i was headed for one of those big numbers by the way but hey um, and you're right the opponents can't always judge either can they and they you know quite often they will take the push and you end up going plus instead of minus so yeah. important, especially match point scoring. Yeah, for sure. Hey, talking about Marty Bergen, the famous partnership, would it be fair to describe you as, as the straight man in that partnership, Larry? <laughs> yes, I guess I was, and it was a long time ago. It was in the 1980s, and I kind of was down the middle, and Marty was an extremely aggressive bidder, especially <laughs> yes. an aggressive preemptor, and 
it just was very successful. I mean, Maddie's idea of a week two, or some people would say crazy. <laughs> Larry might be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> some of the things I read that he did were, you know, made your hair cool. Well, his most famous one was he opened a week two bid in spades, and his opponents had a slam in spades. He had five spades to the eight, and his <laughs> opponents could make six spades. So that was one of the more memorable ones. <laughs> <laughs> were you playing with him at that time, Larry? Oh, yes, it was against Bob Hammond and Bob Wolf, probably maybe the best pair in the world at the time. (laughs) So it's a pretty memorable deal. It was written up in many places. Still pretty impossible to get to six spades after somebody opens a week two in spades. I can't think of any option to get there. (laughs) Right, nobody's bidding is geared to that. Hey, Larry, over your career as a player, you must have a lot of memorable moments. Off the top of your mind, picture out one or two that you particularly prefer over others. Sure, one or two, and I started bridge when I was six years old. That's hard to pick one or two. But, you know, certainly, you know, winning big tournaments is always memorable. Nobody wants to hear about, oh, I won this, I won that. If you want fun stories or anything interesting, I have to go back to my Marty Bergen days. And that's one of the things I remember. You know, for those who don't know Marty Bergen, he's certainly one of the best players ever, one of the most creative innovators of the game. And when we played together, he had very specific and unique ideas. And one of them was that since he was such an aggressive preemptor that he thought it was a big advantage for him to sit at the table in front of the weaker opponent. And what I mean by that is most of the bridge we played together was on professional teams where we would have a sponsor and we'd play against another team with a sponsor. When we would be playing against the weak sponsor on the other team, Marty Bergen's idea was, well, let me sit down if if the guy is sitting north, let me sit west in front of him and just preempt and make him miserable. So that was Marty's philosophy. And I think once we went to sit down at the table and Marty sat in front of the customer and the customer didn't like that. So the customer got up and switched seats with his partner so that Marty wouldn't be in front of him. So Marty told me to get up and switch seats with Marty. So we switched seats. And then the clients switched seats, and we were playing musical chairs, and they ended up calling, they called the director to figure out who had the right to to sit in front of who. Larry, I've been stalking you on YouTube, and I've come across these older videos, but one of them was you appeared on the South Florida Business Report back in October 2013. And I just happened to be watching it, and I was calling you a bridge expert way back then. And your number flashed across the bottom of the screen. I was like, oh, I know that number. So things haven't really changed. Well, not since then. I'm surprised I even let them do that. It's not like I want a phone call at home with a U-hold, someone asking me what to bid. So, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, oh, I couldn't believe that. Yes, I don't. I didn't even realize they put the phone number out there. No, I've been in the same place the last eight years. I'm in South Florida, and for those who have never been in South Florida, it's not a good place to be this time of year. We're talking now in July, and usually I'm not here in July, but of course with COVID and the travel problems, I'm stuck here for now. And South Florida in summer is, is horrible. There's thunderstorms and heat and humidity and it's not inhabitable but here i am speaking of covid larry what are you doing in the way of bridge under the circumstance yeah well actually i haven't played much bridge about 10 years ago i decided 
kind of to retire at an early age. I was 50, and I just haven't played much since then. So this hasn't really changed my amount of playing. It affected my teaching, though. I, I was always on cruises and uh, country clubs and things, bridge clubs teaching on the roads. That had an end, and I transitioned to doing these webinars online, and it seems to be a good time to do it because everyone's at home and they have nothing else to do so that's been going well you've still got not them. the same though as seeing people face to face you've got them trapped larry that's perfect well yeah but i don't want to be accused of taking advantage of the situation or being pleased with it i i'd rather things here were the way it are in your country i mean it's beautiful we've read about how, how well they've handled it there so congratulations are you guys doing any face-to-face bridge am i allowed to ask a question absolutely we've, right. we've just started tournaments the last couple of weeks and they are just exploding bursting the at the numbers. seams with entries mm. the numbers are great just people just couldn't wait to get back to face-to-face bridge and i'm, I'm sure you'll have the same thing happen over there when it eventually happens i hope so we're incredibly lucky here it's great we're going to have our national congress in September. That did get affected from COVID, Larry, because where we normally have it, the venue has actually become an isolation venue. So we're desperately trying to find a replacement venue and we should have an answer tomorrow about where it's now going to be placed. But anyway, it's still going to happen, Larry, but numbers will be down, obviously, and our Aussie mates can't come over the ditch. They're not allowed in. They usually get sort of 70 or 80 Aussies turning up. They won't be there. Still, it's great to still be holding it. Oh, yeah, we're a long way away from face-to-face bridge. Pretty much they've decided no tournaments here until through the end of December. So, <gasps> Really? Oh, yeah, everything's cancelled. All three of our major national tournaments this year were cancelled. What about Club Bridge, Larry? Is there any prospect of that starting earlier than that? Or not really? Not really. There's, I mean, a, one or two clubs has talked about trying it, but I don't see how it's going to happen because, you know, of all the activities, Bridge is, it's hard to have social distancing and mm. it's mostly older people. It's just really, really a long way away. And right now, things, things here are not even close to getting right, so... Long way away. Director, please. How can I help? Judge Julie presiding. And our question is... It sounds like a simple question. When is a card played? What could be simpler than that? First of all, declarer, (laughs) dummy, and defender. It's hard to describe without showing you, so we will start. First of all, if an opponent sees your card, that is completely irrelevant. Just because you see the card they think they might want to play doesn't make it played, no matter how much we would like them to put it on the table, no matter whether defender or declarer or whatever the situation may be. How do we know when declarer has played a card as opposed to lifting it out of their hand and putting it back in, which whilst is poor practice, actually does happen because people change their mind. For declarer, a card is played when it is played touching or nearly touching the table in a position that indicates it's played. The easiest thing is the face side of the card, the card, the side that says what it is. If that is facing the table and is low down towards the table so everybody can see it, even if it hasn't been put flat on the table, that would be enough to indicate it is played. To make a definitive ruling, I would actually get people to show me where the card was so I could determine it. But if the card has come out of the hand and it's on the way down towards the table and they change their mind, well, most of the time that is not necessarily played. 
So that is the clearer. For a defender, it's a bit easier. Your partner is not allowed to have been able to see the card. Once your partner could have seen the card, then that card will be played. So for a defender, when they're playing a card, if it comes out of their hand and it is in a position where their partner could, not did, but could have seen it, then that card will be played. Now, for dummy, when dummy goes down, some people will touch cards to play them, some people will call cards to play them. Strongly recommended that you call the cards from dummy. It stops losing that track of looking at your hand and at dummy and doing something, so in some ways it actually helps you improve your play. If we touch a card in dummy, it is played. If you want to rearrange dummy or check about where cards are, ideally get dummy to do it, but if you have to do it yourself, before you touch anything at all, say, I'm just going to arrange, because as soon as you touch a card, it is going to be played unless you have made that statement. If you call a card from dummy, it is played. Now, you can have an unintended designation as declarer, but when the director gets to the table, it is a really, really hard thing to determine. So most of the time, if you call a card from dummy, it is played. So make sure that when you touch or call a card, that that is what you want to happen. If dummy plays a card and declarer did not call or touch it, it is not played. To be played, it has to be called by declarer. However, if dummy plays a card and then a defender plays a card, well, dummy's created the problem. It is dummy's fault, and so the ruling will certainly be taking that into account. So if you've got a partner with a quiet voice, like I have, and she calls for a card and you think she's called for the jack of diamonds and she's called for the jack of something else, and you play it, that's my fault. No, if you call for a card, that is a card that is played. Yeah, she's got quite a quiet voice, as you know, and she calls for a card, and I didn't hear her properly, and I played the wrong one. And that is your fault, mm, right? It's always and, my but fault. But your opponent still should check. There are some brilliant things called an accent coup. If they play a card because they've misunderstood, then that is their problem. Now, the most common cards in this area are ace and eight. Okay. Yep. And king and ten, depending on your accent. Now, to clear is called a card, and that is the card that is played. If the defender plays the wrong card, that is also their problem. I think we've got All that. Right? And you know that four hearts I went down in on the weekend, Jenny had left the table and I couldn't multitask, Julie. That was the problem. I, I couldn't count the clubs and play the dummy at the same time, you see. It's always... <laughs> The woman's fault. I know. I just get the blame all of He's the time. He's grasping at straws here. <laughs> Thank you. Bye for now. Bye, Julie. Right. Bye. New Zealand Bridge sponsoring Bridge from beginner to international, nationwide. there. Who are you and how can we help? Hi, I'm Karen. I had a hand on the weekend that has kind of been bugging me, so I thought I'd ask Barry's perspective. My left-hand opposition opens three clubs, pass from partner, three no trumps from my right, and I'm sitting there with a hand that could have overcalled three clubs and maybe even if they'd raised four clubs, but I'm kind of stuck for a bit now that they've did three no trumps because I think it's a big hand. 
So we played in three in front and it became apparent that they didn't have a hand that was thinking that they could make nine tricks and no trumps, which is technically a psych, but it seems like a fairly no-risk psych to them because partners not expected to predict in anyway, so it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if they field it or not. So what's your take on that? Uh, the old three no trumps. So I've got to say I've been there and done that, Karen. You're right, it's almost risk-free, but it's not against the rules to do it. It's one of the best psychs when you've got a lot of clubs. What was the vulnerability, Karen? We were vulnerable and they were not. Oh, God. Well, so, I mean, this is just this is just made for them, isn't it? Um, because if I bid for spades and... He does have a real Freno Trump bid. Yep, carry you out on a stretcher. And how am I going to explain that to teammates? And they're going to say, well, you could have taken Freno Trumps off. I guess you can double Freno Trumps and hope you can beat it. And when they a real one, I don't have an outside entry. Trouble is, of course, that they might not even have that good a hand, but have a genuine play for Freno Trumps if they have, you know, some good sure. clubs. You know, all they need is a stopper and something good in clubs, and they're in, aren't they? So there's a number of yeah. pe- reasons people might bid three no trumps there. One is they've got a really good hand and they think they can make it. One is they've got a club fit and some sort of a stopper in the other three suits and think that maybe they can come to nine tricks. And the third one, of course, is the is the evil one where they have a lot of clubs and they know that you have game on and they're trying to muddy the waters. Really yeah. difficult position to put you in. It's easier when you have most of the points, but it's particularly hard when both of you have sort of an opening hand, should obviously yeah. be in game, but neither of you has enough to act over three no trumps, or, or maybe your partner didn't have a bid over three clubs. You know, they've yeah, got the wrong shape. Yeah, didn't quite have the yeah. right shape for a yeah. double. So there's no easy answer to this. I suppose if you've got a good hand, you're just really going to have to see which way the wind's blowing, but if you make the wrong decision and they have got the big hand, you're in for it. It's a really tough position. There is no good answer to this question, Karen. At Bridge, there are some things that are just too hard. So then the follow-up mm-hmm. is, is that having discussed this hand with my partner, if I should then pay it forward, as we say, and do this to somebody else, would partner now be aware that I might have this club preempt sort of raise yeah. instead of three no trumps and be obliged to alert it? I mean, it's a bit like when it goes... One heart double and the the old classic one spade bid where you haven't got spades. The schoolboy psych, I think they call it. I mean, it, it's a very common one, but I, I don't think it's a But it's not a psych if your partner knows. Well, your partner, you, well, means, well, well, actually, that's yeah. a good way of putting it. But the thing is, your partner doesn't know. But they do know it's a possibility. Well, mm-hmm. they always know it's a possibility, but you can't alert partner's bid because they might have psyched because they, you'd be alerting every bid. I have to say that South didn't seem particularly surprised his partner didn't have a proper three-no trumpet. You are going to have to guess. Are they on the level? Yeah. Have a look at them and see if they look like that serious. <laughs> I don't know. But if you guess wrong, uh, it's going to be expensive. Either way, that is a very oh. tough question. Yeah. And the answer is either bid if it's correct or or not. All right. Hey, thanks for that. Thank Certainly you. got his grey matter churning away. <laughs> well, given the answer, do the right thing. Hey, thanks. Thank Have you. a great day. Bye. So are you heading off to Franklin for the 10A this weekend, Barry? Well, I can't play in the pairs. There's the 10A pairs on the Saturday, and it's my father-in-law's 90th birthday, so oh, I can't go. Oh, what an awesome... But we're going for the teams on Sunday. But yeah. anyway... Have a fantastic week. I hope you enjoyed the first segment of the interview with Larry Cohen. 
And another quick one, just before we go, we haven't heard from Richard Solomon about the confirmation of the new replacement venue for 2020 New Zealand Bridge National Congress. So as soon as he lets us know, we'll let you know. Take care, everybody, and enjoy your bridge. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.